Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering. Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm Sean McCraney, your host. If you have family or friends who can't watch uh, Heart of the Matter on television, tell them to go to www.hotm.tv, and they can uh, watch the streaming video right there. If they don't do streaming video, they can go to uh, AM820. The Truth, and they can hear uh, Heart of the Matter on a 50,000-watt station. It's an excellent station. It's all I listen to whenever I'm in town because by listening to it, I learn more about the Word of God from really good uh, uh, teachers and preachers of the Word of God. So AM uh, 820 uh, is a great station. Our good friend and YouTube poster, uh, Andreas out of Norway, sent this to us. He said uh, things are going great on YouTube. What Andreas has done is he's taken our show off. He asked me one day through the internet, hi, my name's Andreas. I want to take your show and put segments on YouTube. uh, So far, he's put on over 400 segments. And he says, I know for a fact that videos have been watched in China, Japan, Philippines, India, Indonesia, Australia, Pakistan, Thailand, Malaysia, South Africa, Botswana, Nambia, Ethiopia, Nigeria, Morocco, Egypt, England, Sweden, Finland, Russia, Spain, Portugal, Romania, Austria, Germany, Poland, Denmark, Latvia, France, Italy, Ukraine, Ireland, Saudi Arabia, Israel, Iraq, Bolivia, Chile, Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, Venezuela, Peru, and of course all over the USA. There's been over 150,000 YouTube views in these countries because of his work that he's just decided to do on his own. So we thank him, praise God for his volunteer and for the people from all over those places who watch Heart of the Matter. Burning Heart 08, we hope you'll join us here in Sugar House, especially those of you in Chile and Poland. Come on over. uh, Sugar House Park on September 20th, Saturday, from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. We're going to have food, deep discount Subway sandwiches, cotton candy, popcorn, drinks, food, uh, fun, great music, a little bit of the spoken word. We're going to have a baptismal pool there, uh, heated from what I understand. And uh, for people who want to dedicate their lives publicly, um, uh, right then and there. So come and welcome the fall in with us at Heart of the Matter, the Day of Decision, uh, September 20th, a Saturday. Tell all your friends the statewide outreach is for inactive LDS people, people who are LDS searching, non-Christian families, friends, neighbors, Whatever, Christian believers, come on out and join us. One of my children recently received this in the e in the mail from uh, a faithful member of the church. 
And uh, what it says here, it's, a, it, it's an insert of Joseph Smith's picture. And I think we're picking that up. Look at that beautiful thing. And there you see the golden plates, and there you see the temple. And below it, there's a quote. And what that quote says is, Joseph, quote, Joseph Smith, the prophet and seer of the Lord, has done more, save Jesus only, for the salvation of men in this world than any other man that ever lived in it. That comes straight from the Doctrine and Covenants. This is a, 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 a modern thing they've been sending out. And so it shows you they say we're Christian, we're Christian, we're Christian. And yet they still are, are holding this man up to no end. Aside from the obvious heinousness that this thing represents to Christians, have you ever wondered why the LDS church believes it's necessary to constantly promote Joseph Smith to people? constantly promoting him with stuff like this? Why do they relentlessly make people accept this stuff on, with these glossy presentations and this PR stuff? What are they selling? Isn't Jesus enough? Jesus Christ is not enough. He wasn't enough on the cross when he said it's finished. They've got to go and say things like that. I thought Jesus could deliver a gospel message that the gates of hell would not prevail against it, and people like Joseph Smith didn't need to step in and do what Jesus couldn't do. Um, this quote included in the LDS scriptures known as the Doctrine and Covenants is inflated enough, but compared to Joseph Smith's own self-description, it's anemic. Listen to what Joseph Smith said of himself. Now remember, that's what they said about Joseph after he was killed. This is what Joseph Smith said said uh, about himself, I have more to boast of than any man had. I am the only man that has ever been able to keep a whole church together since the days of Adam. A large majority of the whole have stood by me. Neither Paul, John, Peter, nor Jesus ever did it. I boast that no man ever did such a work as I. The followers of Jesus ran away from him, but the Latter-day Saints never ran away from me yet, end quote. Think I'm making that up? Go to History of the Church, Volume 6, page 408 and 409. These very words that were spoken by Joseph Smith could have easily have been said by David Koresh or Jim Jones or Sun Young Moon or L. Ron Hubbard or that Poe dude in San Diego who got picked up by the spaceship when everyone off themselves. But ask yourselves, would the Apostle Paul have ever said something like that about himself? Would Peter, would the Apostle John have ever said anything about themselves that way? How about just modern guys like the Reverend Vernon J. McGee or John MacArthur or Chuck Swindoll or Chuck Smith or Billy Graham? Listen to the facts like those things that these men have said about themselves and uh, it's, it's, it really is Jesus, it's not Joseph, and I hope you'll take that to heart. All right, before we get to our message, we're going to take a minute and we're going to set things straight. A couple weeks ago, uh, somebody sent us uh, some notifications that in the book of Ezekiel, in the Bible, the LDS have references to the Book of Mormon that they've included in the King James Version. And that's what I said, hey, get rid of your King James Version of the LDS Bible because they... They indoctrinate you in little ways like that. Well, tonight we're going to go to a verse in the Old Testament, and it's a verse that is used by the LDS all the time to errantly uh, support the use of uh, the Bible to support the Book of Mormon. All right, and it's from that very passage. So we have the graphic that's going to show up here of the verse. Let's go to the first one. And uh, 
It says, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying. Now, who was the me that we're talking about in Ezekiel here? It's Ezekiel. It's the prophet Ezekiel. Okay, the next verse. It says, moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. All right. So Ezekiel is to take the stick himself and he is to write upon it. No one else is supposed to write upon it. He's supposed to write upon it for, to represent Judah and Benjamin. Judah and Benjamin formed the southern kingdom, okay, of God's kingdom of the children of Israel. Judah and Benjamin were the one stick, and God said, Ezekiel, write upon that one stick to represent them, okay? Go into the next verse, or the same verse. He says, and write upon it for Joseph, right? So, these sticks were an object lesson. The stick of Ephraim and for all the house of Israel, his companions. So the first stick represented the southern kingdom and it has Judah and Benjamin, but represented Judah and Benjamin, and they were separated. They were not together. The other stick, he says, write it on it for Joseph or Ephraim. And what that stick represents are the lost 10 tribes. And they were called lost because they were, they were kicked out by the Assyrians during Roabum and the, this whole history behind it. But just, repre- just understand, these two sticks were just an object lesson for a prophet to show the children of Israel. All right? So then let's go to verse 17. And join them one to another into one stick, that they shall become one in thine hand. Now these sticks represented scepters. Like a king would sit and he would, he would be a scepter. And, it would, and so we had two scepters and we had two different kingdoms, southern and northern. And God was telling Ezekiel, listen, show the people that I'm going to take all the children of Israel that have been separated and I'm going to bring them together. These sticks are not about books. They're not about books of scripture. They're not about a book of Mormon and the Bible. That is, it's just unbelievable that that, that, that could be said. It's like um, saying that the book of Peter is about pets, P-E-T, and, and ER rooms. I mean, it's that ridiculous to say it's talking about scripture. So when you open up to Ezekiel 37 and the LDS church is saying these passages tell you about the book of Mormon coming forth, they are so out of context, you can't believe it. Now, uh, Ezekiel was to do the writing, no later prophets What Ezekiel wrote on each stick, it was for something. It was for what they represented, okay, the object lesson. And these sticks sticks represented two separate powers. I'm giving you a a rehearsal here again. And um, after the deportation by the Assyrians, all the house of Israel who became companions to Ephraim in rebellion against Rehoboam were the northern tribes. So that's what he's talking about there. And then you drop down, and the two nations would someday be rejoined in the millennial uh, restoration of Israel as one nation under one royal power headed by David. God himself provides this as true interpretation in verse 21 through 28. So I'm not going to take the time now. Get your Bibles out. Go to Ezekiel 37. And then don't believe what I just said and how I interpreted it. See what God himself says about the interpretation of the two sticks in verse 21 through uh, 28. And you will have your eyes opened on just one verse that the LDS missionaries will use to prove to unsuspecting people sitting in their homes that the Book of Mormon is this one stick and the Bible is the other. With that, let's have a word of prayer. 
Oh, Lord, we love you and thank you, and we need you uh, in our audience here and out in TV land around the world who watch it. Uh, we uh, need you with our technical staff, with all the volunteers who do so much to help the show. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, we've been talking about the 17 points that the LDS claim are signs of the true church, and the 17th point states, quote, by their fruits ye shall know them. We've been talking about the fruits. About three weeks ago, we talked about fruits in general. Two weeks ago, we talked about the first fruit Joseph Smith introduced uh, that would show he was a false prophet, and that was the fruit of deception. Last week, we had some young men on the show, so we didn't continue then. And tonight, we're going to continue on with the second fruit. Now, remember, if any fruits that a prophet who says God has told him to do this thing, not the prophet's life, but the prophet, when he says, thus saith the Lord, or this is of God, if any of those fruits are bad, then he's a bad prophet. So tonight I want to introduce to you another fruit Joseph Smith introduced to the world. And Mormonism today fully operates by it. Revelation without scriptural substantiation. Revelation without scriptural substantiation. Or in other words, it's the idea of getting people to rely on their own feelings to determine truth instead of reason, facts, and the Word of God. Now, the Mormon missionaries from all over the world give what is called the Book of Mormon Challenge. And missionaries throw this challenge out to people as a means for them to tell whether they can discover if the Book of Mormon is true. What the challenge says is for them to pray about it. Now, that's a general thing. Let me give you more specifics. Joseph Smith actually included in the Book of Mormon the challenge uh, by having the fictional character Moroni write, quote, And when ye shall receive these things, I would exhort you that you would ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if ye shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. So that passage is in the Book of Mormon, and it's the challenge passage that Mormon missionaries will go, and other members will say, listen, if you want to find out if the Book of Mormon's true, they open up to Moroni, and they quote that passage, and they say, you go and you pray to God, and you ask him if it's true. The LDS believe that this manifestation of truth is going to come by feelings. It's going to come by you feeling good about it, all right? This test or this challenge is not a trustworthy way to discern knowledge or truth. When a person is challenged with it, the only acceptable result, if you read those words, would be to claim that they have received a witness of it. This is because the qualifications required to know the truth are all about you, the one taking the test. All right? They say you have to ask with real intent and you have to ask with sincerity and you have to ask with real faith in Christ. And if you do those things, then Jesus will tell you it's true. So guess what you do? You take it and you say, well, let me take the, the challenge. And you pray and, and you don't get any answer that says it's true. You might even get an answer that says it's false. But Wait a minute, that says I don't have real intent. That says I'm not sincere. That says I don't have faith in Jesus Christ. So well, let, me, let me pray again. Let me have real intent. Let me squint harder. God, give me a feeling that, that this book is true. Please, you know, and see what it does is it's all on you. 
So you have these young missionaries come back and they say, well, now, what did you find out when you prayed? And you don't want to look like you lack real faith. You don't want to look like you don't love Jesus or trust him or have intention. And so, you know, you're kind of in a quandary and you say, well, I don't really know yet. And then the missionary says, well, you get back in your room, ma'am, and you really pray this time. You really be intent and you really be sincere and you really have faith in Jesus. That line alone, have faith, is tough if you haven't been blessed with it spiritually. So you go in your room and, you know, these guys are saying this promise and, and you don't even realize the premise that they've set up in front of you. All right. The onus for veracity falls upon your ability to be genuine and real and sincere and faithful. Therefore, many people afraid to discover that they aren't truly sincere according to this test or they aren't intent or they aren't, they don't have the faith in Jesus Christ will conjure up some feeling or they actually experience a feeling. And uh, you see, to the LDS, it's impossible for the book to be wrong. And so, therefore, you are wrong if you don't receive the answer that they say. And if you don't receive the feelings from your prayer. There's a few things more entertaining to me in my life at this point to get with the missionaries and, or to listen to them and to have them say, you know, did you pray about the Book of Mormon? Yes, I did, Elder. And, and what did, was the answer that you received? The answer I received is that it is false and it's a lie. But you didn't pray with real intent. I did, Elder. You didn't pray sincerely. Yes, I did. And, and I have faith in Jesus Christ, Elder. And the book is not true. That's not possible. Because the book says that if you have that, then you will know it's true. But, Elder, I came up with a different answer. But, but that's... That, and they just start, you know, the mechanism's totally tweaked, you know. They got some kind of input that doesn't work right. And that's what they've set you up to do. Joseph Smith was a master of this stuff. He could come up with answers and solutions for God and deliver it in such a way. And it's a quote I've always used. There's hope in the words. There's emotion in their eyes. It's so easy to be misled by such a sad and gentle guise. And like fools, we trust the delivery, but it's all just drunk sincerity. You have to be very careful with feelings when it comes to knowing truth. <sighs> When we look at the Bible, it never asks you to pray to know that the Bible is true, ever. Why? Because the Bible stands on its own merits. The Bible stands on a real history. It stands on real places. Now, somebody, I think they're here in the audience tonight, gave me this book. It's called the Pictorial Bible Dictionary. And the other night I couldn't sleep, so I opened it up and I started reading it. And I got through uh, the fourth page and by the fourth page, I was so blown away by the amount of data in here of viable, real history, pictures. It's showing me, and this book is probably a thousand pages long. And it's all, all these different things that are in the Bible. And it just shows you pictures and tells you this is where this happened. This is the grave of this person. This is the grave of Absalom. This is unbelievable. You know, we have not one verifiable fact on that book that you're praying about to see if it's true, where you want your feelings to tell you, yes, it is. Not one verifiable fact. That's not how God works. 
He gives you facts. In fact, God gives you facts about himself. He writes his law upon your heart. So he, he tells people through conscience what's right and wrong. He writes himself upon nature, Romans tells us. God doesn't say, be in a vacuum and don't believe, just believe in me. I'm not going to give you any signs. He gives you plenty of evidence to, to, to see him. But you, not this emotionalism that Mormons talk about. Listen, the, the Bible does say that you should go to God for wisdom. Okay, that's the James 1.5 passage. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally. But wisdom is knowledge applied. Wisdom is not inspiration applied. Wisdom is knowledge applied. So if you pray to God for wisdom, you're saying, God, help me take the knowledge that you've given me and apply it. That's not a way of discerning truth. It's a way of applying the knowledge that you already have. Listen to what the scripture says, John, 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone into the world. How do you try spirits? You try spirits by factual data. You try spirits. If the spirit comes to you and says, listen, you should go out and shave your, your dog's head because um, I need you to do that, and you should then go kill your neighbor. Well, you should take the scripture and you should try what that spirit has told you by what the word says. And the word says, thou shalt not shave thy dog's neighbor's dog's head and thou shalt not kill your neighbor. So you don't do it. That's called testing these spirits. Mormons say, go in and invite the spirits to talk to you and let these spirits tell you this is true and you'll feel it. And maybe you will, but I would seriously uh, fear the spirit you're inviting to give you that, that testimony. First Thessalonians says, prove all things. Hold fast to what is good. How do you prove it? How do you prove all things? By the manual. It's very simple. Speaking to the Bereans, Luke wrote, they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily. Why? Whether those things were so. Search them daily, whether they were so. This is the manual. This is how you discern truth. You're LDS. You're wondering. You've been misled. Ugh, like a fish. Uh, you are swimming upstream and they got the line in you and you think you're free, but you're on their line. And emotionalism just doesn't do it. Don't forget what Galatians said. Galatians 1, 6 through 8. I marvel not you're so soon removed from him that called you to the gospel of grace, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, then what we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before and say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then you have received, let him be accursed. Ask any knowledgeable Bible scholar, Bible teacher, Bible-believing person, ask any one of them who also know Mormonism, is Mormonism another gospel? Everyone will categorically say or uncategorically say, yes, it is another gospel. All right? You go in and it talks about the LDS and they will say, well, you know, I know the church or the Book of Mormon is true because I really, really, really feel it. Okay. Would you take Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible and pray to know that it's true? Would you go to God and say, now this is a Satanic Bible. I'm going to pray to know it's true. Could you get an answer from something, from some spirit that would say, yes, it is? Yes, you could. Absolutely. I mean... Um, they will try to get you to test things in ways where they're not testable. And so you have to use what the scripture says, the Bible, in order to understand and uh, truth. To accept or believe something that you really feel is right does not make the thing right. 
because you really, really believe something's right. It doesn't make it right. Do you understand that? It's what God says about the thing. It's, it's not what you want to feel and believe. Faith is the substance. That's, that's, that's matter. The substance of uh, things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. I've mentioned this before on the show, but one of Hitler's henchmen said something to the effect that you cannot understand Hitler by reason. You can only understand Hitler by feelings. Woohoo! Those feelings are reliable, aren't they? Hitler manipulated millions of good, hardworking, industrious, moral people to hoard actions through emotionalism and through feeling. They just knew he was a leader sent by God. In fact, Hitler in Mein Kampf wrote, and I read the book, he wrote he knew he could feel and sense that God had sent him on this mission. All right. Uh, Otto uh, Dietrich, head of Hitler's press service, once said, quote, by nature, Hitler was a bohemian. He allowed himself to be guided almost exclusively by emotional considerations. You're talking about the same stuff. Emotionalism is dangerous in any form of belief systems. If you've ever done any public speaking, you know very well you can get a crowd to go your way through anger. You can get it through humor. You can get it through sadness. You can get them through guilt. All of these are emotive responses that make people feel instead of think. Hitler said it's a good thing the people don't think. You understand that? Boyd K. Packer said, when the brethren have spoken, the thinking has been done. Use your brain. Open up that Bible. I'm not saying open up Sean McCraney's book of, of fan club, follow me. I'm saying open the Bible. I'm saying take that book and read it. Talk to this God who says he's there. Have your relationship with him. Cut me out completely. Hate me. Hate these others. Whatever you want to do, go to God. He will change your heart. He'll show you the truth. Revelation without scriptural substantiation was a hallmark trait of Joseph Smith. He could conjure up these answers without a problem. The Spirit lives on today in the LDS Church. Go to any LDS fast and testimony meeting. They stand up and they bear testimony. What really brings the Spirit are tears. The more tears, the better. And uh, watch their commercials. Watch the commercials that they air. There's always this emotive thing that they're dri uh, driving to. We had a clip here, which was phenomenal. We're going to show it to you next week, so tune in. We couldn't get it ready tonight. And it's of a girl who says, I've always guided my life through logic and reason and by searching things out. And when I came to understand that I have an emotional side, I joined the church without thinking. I didn't need to think. <laughs> didn't need to think at all. It's true. Tears come. I know it's true. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Joseph was a prophet. <laughs> we'll show you that uh, clip next week. Go on YouTube and type in uh, the Mormon Answer Man or the Book of Mormon Answer Man or the Mormon Answer Man and just pay attention as he gives his sob story and the things he says, pay attention when the oboe music comes in. Pay attention when the music starts coming in and as he builds the crescendo toward bearing humble testimony of the truthfulness of the gospel. Then get out the Bible and read about how God operates and he will speak the truth to you through here like you've never had before. One final verse before we go to the phones. 
Romans chapter 10, it says, For I bear record that they have a zeal of God, talking about the children of Israel, Paul's writing, that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. The word he uses there is knowledge. Okay? They have a, the LDS, I could say the same thing if I was Paul writing to the Mormons. Uh, I bear record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge, but according to feelings. All right? And then he says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. He imputes his righteousness into you to everyone that what? Works. Everyone that does vicarious ordinances for the dead. Everyone that's baptized by a priesthood holder in the LDS church. No. The end of the uh, law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Let's open up the phones. We're going to Sarah and Sandy online too. Sarah, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, hi. Hi, Sarah. Um, I had a question. Yes. Uh, my question was, um, since Mormons believe that when they die, they become gods, uh, is, do they get worshipped when they die? Yeah, I would believe that they would believe, Sarah, that someday, um, that someday that when they become a god, if they've done everything that they were supposed to do in Mormondom here, that someday they are going to create children and spirits that are going to worship them. Yes. Okay. Is that is that answer? How old are you? I'm eleven. How long have you been watching the show? What? How long have you been watching the show? Uh, ever since he started. You're a real fan. Yeah, Sarah. Hey, Sarah, do you go to public school? No. You private or homeschool? Uh, I go to a private Christian school. Private Christian school. Good for you. And what are your favorite activities outside of uh, going to church? Um, uh, playing outside, I guess. Swimming. Swimming? Yeah. Well, very good. Hey, thanks so much for calling. You're welcome. Okay, see you later. Okay, bye. Bye. We're going to John O'Fallon from Illinois. Brother John, how are you? Good. How you doing, Sean? I'm doing all right. What's up? What's up, John? I don't normally get into the personal attacks, but you've really got to button that shirt up, Sean. I'm sorry. Just for you, Johnny, baby. <laughs> you got to button that shirt up and get over yourself. Well, I actually do it so you can see I'm not wearing the garments, but uh, I also kind of like my hairy chest when I can see it in the monitor. I've got a scripture for you. It's in Second Peter chapter two. Okay. It's but in verse 1, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring destruction, or bring upon themselves swift destruction. What do you think of that verse? Well, Who I do you think, think it, that's talking I think about? Joseph Smith. Yeah, I think it's talking about you, Sean. Well, the problem is, John, is that I don't deny Jesus Christ. You know, so you got a big problem right there. I try to preach and teach Jesus all, every chance I get. And that scripture is talking about somebody who kind of replaces Jesus. They bring in damnable heresies. So it sounds to me like it, it really describes him much more than me. I'm not a prophet. Joseph said he was a prophet. So your application of that scripture to me is really futile. 
You, yeah, want, you it, want to try another one? It talks about false teachers, though, and I think that applies. Well, what makes my teachings false, John? Again, let's go back to that. What am I saying that's well, false? You know, what you just said earlier about the missionaries, you know, giving you the challenge and how you couldn't, you know, you get a different and opposite answer. All that means is you didn't ask with real intent. No, I'm saying you should do that. I'm not saying I did that. That was my answer all throughout my life, John. I'm saying that is the answer to give for a good entertaining time. And that's what I said. You didn't listen to me. I said it's real entertaining now, especially for me, to be able to do that with the missionaries. But prior, no, I did pray with real intent, and I mustered up some feeling. I really did. I mustered up some feeling that said, you know, my mom and dad were LDS, and, and all the people I like around me are LDS. The Book of Mormon must be true. Whence I felt it. It, like, shot through me a little bit, and I felt the feeling. So I thought, well, it must be true. But, John, you know, the Spirit is not going to testify that that book's true because the book is false. You didn't have a true conversion, Sean. Well, right. you know, that's another thing that we get to say when we're LDS and someone leaves is, one, they either really sinned, two, someone offended them, or three, they were never truly converted. That's right. Yeah. Well, you say that with some scorn in your voice. You well, you know, I, because I just hate, how about the doctrine? Can't I leave because of the doctrine? We had five missionaries on the show last week. They all left because of the doctrine. Did you hear them? John, did you see these guys who, they weren't sinful men with unbuttoned shirts? They were like these nice... How do you know? They, you always assume that people aren't committing these sins. How do you know? Well, I don't know, John. Well, one, they said it themselves. They said we are sinners, you know, and which was a really good thing to hear from some guys, because you are too. We, we've talked about that before. But they admitted they're sinners. But I'm talking about the egregious sins that you want to uh, label all five of them for, com for committing for the reason they left. They left because the Lord told them the thing is bunk. That's why they left, John. Can you handle that? No, I can't. I just don't think their conversion was real in the beginning. How do you know your conversion's real, John? What, by what do you base your conversion on? Because I have a testimony, Sean. I prayed about it, and I asked, and I got a testimony. Okay, did you just hear what I talked about when it comes to knowing what the Bible says about knowing truth? You prayed about it, you have a testimony. What is this testimony? You act like it's a card in your wallet that you carry around with you. Do you have a testimony? Well, yes, I do. Would you like to see it? I mean, where is this test? What is this testimony you're talking about? Sean, you know what a testimony is. It's baloney is what it is. It's just, it's just delusional is a testimony. You get wrapped up. It's like the My Lai experience in Vietnam. Everybody gets hysterical about it, and you see people crying, and you start crying, and pretty soon everything's true. But it doesn't mean it's true. The Word teaches you truth, John. It's the Word of God that you get your truth from, not from feelings. You're getting too, you're getting too emotional about this. Well, I was raised Mormon. What do you expect? <laughs> Come on, John. How, this testimony, where did you get it? How did you obtain it? I applied. Sean, you know how I got it. Well, I applied you're telling the audience, pronoun. John. You're telling the audience. It's not just me and you. I, Tell the audience how you got your testimony. I applied the promise in Moroni chapter 10. It says if you ask with faith, with real intent, and want to know if the Book of Mormon is true, that you'll receive a testimony through the Spirit that it's true. And I've received that testimony, Sean, just like you claim you used to have. Okay. John, let me ask you, what about those people who do truly love the Lord, they pray with sincerity, they, 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 they have real intent, and the answer is it's not true? Well, then they didn't have real intent. This is what I've been trying to point out. I love you, John. I mean, 
you, you bring out the points, you know? So what you're saying is that the problem with someone not discovering the truth of the Book of Mormon is theirs. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Okay, do you know the scripture where it says that Jesus saved us while we were yet sinners? Do you understand the state that you're in to be saved by Christ? That it's not a place where you prepare yourself and you get yourself ready to receive his salvation. But he reaches down, John, with you in your vile state that you have yet to recognize about yourself. And he saves you in that state. What you're saying is for a person to really get a testimony of this book, which is going to lead them to exaltation, is that they have to have the right amount of faith, the right amount of intensity and sincerity first before God grants them this. Do you realize that is another gospel in and of itself? Sean, you sound like you're angry. Well, I'm a passionate guy, and I do get angry. Yeah, I've had an angry week. Can I, am I allowed that, or do you want me to be perfect? Do you want me to put on the white shirt and button up my, my tie here, John? Will that make you happy and make you feel better? I'm not here to impress anybody. I don't care about impressing anybody. I think you get that, right? You look at the set, you look at the way I dress, you see me make mistakes on here. I'm not here to impress you. I'm just here to share what I know is true. Now, the missionaries are there to impress you, like an IBM salesman or somebody from Microsoft. You know, they got something to sell, and they package it up, and they make it really nice, and they talk in soft tones, John, you see, and they, and they beguile people who are innocent and don't understand. So that does make me mad. You're a false teacher, Sean. Just what, oh God, the accusations keep going, but you just don't give me any substance, man. It's just like Mormonism. It's just candy, 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 and you never get nourishment. Give me some meat, John. I gave you my testimony, and that's more important than your so-called facts. That's the beautiful thing. That's the beautiful thing about Mormonism is the facts have never played a part. I wish we had this tape next week, please, folks. Tune in next week. We're going to play this YouTube video. It's saying the same thing. It's just facts don't matter. My heart say true. I follow. I will be God someday. Hiya, Hitler. I mean, what do you want, dude? It's just terrible. I'm sorry for you. I'm really sorry for you. I know I get... This I is don't need your sympathy, Sean. I'm happy. I know where I'm going. Do you, you know what? Happiness? Hey, John, do you have joy? Yes, I do. Yeah, T describe, describe I, the joy to me. My wife and I both have joy in our life, Sean. Okay, do you? Describe. I do. Tell, describe the joy to me, John. Do you have joy? I don't think you do, Sean. Actually, I have joy. I don't always have happiness. There's a big difference. Uh, I think it there's a lot of turmoil in your family because you apostatize, and part of your family is still faithful, and I think that, that causes a lot of problems. Well, I think you've got that right. You're right. It is not easy to stand up for what you believe in sometimes. And it does get difficult. You're right. And it does get difficult sometimes doing the things that we all do, that we, that we know are right for the Lord, John. That's why happiness is a very fluctuating state. But I know I'm saved, John. I know right now if I was to die or next year, I'm, if I was to die, I am saved. Can you say that? Yes, I can, but I also know that you're, you're wearing out your life. You're wasting your life engaged in this folly. I do know that. Wait, can, you, can you share that testimony with the people who write us and say the show has actually saved their lives? And how many other people has it turned away? You don't hear from Turned those. away from what? Repulsed. How many, other people have, how many people has your show repulsed that you don't hear from? Repulsed in what way? You mean the Mormons who get angry? Yes. Well, I'm sure I've repulsed many, I, without question. I mean, you're going to be uh, repulsive when you represent truth. 
you would understand that, right? Or do you want to just be really accepted by everybody and just kind of lie when you talk to them? Or do you want to give the truth and have people get mad at you? So I, I just, that you just have a spirit of mocking and contention. No, the spirit is just is I just not letting you get every point. Uh, I'm not letting you get away with every point. And you're trying to throw out points, and I'm just I'm countering every point you're giving me. Because listen, when you share the truth, there's going to be people who are repulsed. But John, you said I'm wasting my life. I asked you, what do I do with those emails from people who say I found the Lord? The Lord has taken over my life. My family has changed. What do I do with those? What do you do with those, John? I don't have an answer for you, Sean, but I do okay. know this. This past week, I put your name on the prayer rolls at the oh, temple. God. You are killing me, man. And this past week has been one of the worst weeks of my life. <laughs> so I don't know what that's telling you. John, your calls are always appreciated because one thing I can say, and I always have to you, you say it like it is, and that is a breath of fresh air in Mormon land. Because usually if we get from BYU PhDs down to the little elders quorum presidents when they call, it's all this juggling around and trying to do this. And You are just right on it. And even though I kind of get mad with you, I, I am so grateful for your calls because I will admit, you don't soft sell it, you tell it like it is. Okay? It's time for me to go. All right. Call back. Bye. Bye. John. John. Got Truth John AM820. Check out AM820 where you can watch the show on The Truth. It's a great station. Let's go to Randy in Taylorsville. Randy, you're on Heart of the Matter. How are you? I'm doing well, Randy. How are you? Oh, not bad. I just uh, thought I'd share a little insight. Now, uh, the Mormons claim that... uh, they left Babylon in 600 B.C. by order of God and come to America, right? Right. Uh, here in Jeremiah, it says, uh, Therefore hearken not unto the words of the prophets that speak unto you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie unto you. Oh, that's a good one. That's in uh, Jeremiah 27:14. Yeah, that's the one where uh, God wanted the children of Israel to actually follow the kings of Babylon, right? They said, Submit to the king of Babylon, and you will be safe. If not, you will be destroyed. Yeah, that's a, it's a, that's a really good point. Wow. I've never thought of that. Excellent point. All right. You have a good one, man. Thanks so much, Randy. Keep sharing with us. All right. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Diana on line two in Sandy. Diana, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi there, Sean. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I have another verse out of Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah 17.9. Okay. Jeremiah 17.9. Right. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Or paraphrase, we might say the heart is the seat of deceit. Yeah. Excellent verse. Okay. You know, Diane, the reason I hesitate using the verses that talk about the heart, and I'm just kind of preempting the calls that could come or emails, is that there are a number of verses, unfortunately, uh, and they're taken out of context that talk about the heart being a good thing. Mm-hmm. And so they use those. And so I, I just, uh, but those, that's a really good verse. And I believe it wholeheartedly, no pun intended. And I think that what you brought out is an excellent point, And it is contextual. But they will always go. They have the, it's like they cut and paste all the verses that talk about the heart being a good thing. And uh, not contextually, they, they don't use it contextually. That's true. Yeah. Thank Th- you. Thanks so much, Diana. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, bye. Hey, uh, while we wait for operators to clear through, if the phone lines are busy, please keep trying to call. 
losing their religion but finding another. Christian bandmates, all ex-Mormon, tell their story on stage. Peggy Stack Fletcher wrote an article in the uh, Salt Lake Tribune about Adams Road, and it was a good article. So I just got this handed to me, but it looks like it's a good article, and they were able to explain why they left Mormonism right there in the Salt Lake Tribune and probably the religious st section because uh, Peggy Stack Fletcher was, or maybe still be, the religious editor of that newspaper. Wade uh, wrote me a very long email, and I'm going to summarize really quickly some things he said. I was once like Sean. Like Sean, I was born in the covenant. I served the faithful mission. He went on, like Sean, number three. Uh, I spent hours upon hours dissecting my religion. Like Sean, I came to the conclusion that it was false. Like Sean McCraney, I did this, I did that. My position was firm and absolute, but I took my journey beyond where Sean and the like have entrenched themselves. And uh, he goes on to say that he had a life-altering saga where he came to surrender his life, and he has new eyes. He says, now I look to Sean and the like with a new set of eyes. Clearly, I have a great deal more to learn. Uh, Wade went back to Mormonism, embraces it fully after having stepped out and seen it for what it was. He went back. He said he had this experience. Now he's unlike me. And the way he explains that is he says, my journey is not over either. But as the bumper sticker reads, I may be slow, but I'm ahead of you. Uh, this is so, you know, through all two pages of his email, he finally uh, lets his real spirit come out. And that is, uh, I'm ahead of you. And this pride and this arrogance that comes through embracing Mormonism, which again is part of the fruit of the tree, which we'll talk about uh, later on. So Wade shared that with us. Um, let me do one more before we go to Brad in Salt Lake City. It says, Sean, uh, I noticed on your show recently that you have said you love and respect the Latter-day Saints. Don't you think you have a strange way of showing it? Sorry, but I don't believe you. Hey, Greg Johnson, listen to this. He wrote, I do believe it when I hear it from Pastor Greg Johnson. He has made a sincere attempt to have a respectful dialogue with members of our faith, notably Robert Millett. The point is this, if you are really serious about intelligent, articulate discussion, if you really are concerned with the heart of the matter, how can you not have guests on your show who are LDS who offer their perspective and their interpretation of what you say are facts? Every belief system has the right to tell their side of the story and to share what they believe. Yada, yada, yada. He goes on and says, how, why don't you have this, this Greg Johnson type dialogue that he has with Bob Millett? And he says it's respectful and Greg truly loves the LDS. Well, a couple things. First, our, our show is not about giving Latter-day Saints equal time. Unless the Latter-day Saint is an official member of the LDS church hierarchy and has permission to speak for the church. The reason we do that is because in situations like where Greg, and, and Greg's a good friend of mine, I, I love Greg, uh, but when he gets with Bob Millett, Bob can say what he wants. Bob says things like, well, I'm a Mormon and I don't believe that, so what, what's the truth? I, I'm the Mormon here. You're saying I believe this, but I'm a Mormon and I don't believe it, so... You know, and so you get to you get people who get to do that type of stuff. You get people now. If I could get John here from Illinois, and he could spout what Mormons believe, and we could go back and forth, I would invite that almost because he is not afraid to say it how it is, and he'll say what goes on behind the scenes in a priesthood meeting, and he'll say what true doctrine is. But usually, you're not going to get that. You're going to get the apologist. The, the second thing is is sometimes when you share the truth. It comes out harsh. 
Sometimes the truth is not easy to hear. We have people who are sitting on fences wondering what to do with their faith. And so we give them enough to help push them over to the side, over the side that they should be on, and that's where Jesus is standing, and not on the side where there's temples and gold plates and Joseph Smith. So this stuff that we throw out there and the argumentative side of it, I do this purposefully. When it's one-on-one or when I'm talking with a group of people, you won't see this type. I just don't do it. But on this show, we learned that when we were scatter shooting across the state, there are people who tune in, we get the emails from them, and something that we happen to say triggers and it opens up a door. We're planting seeds to help them come along. So uh, don't ever try to make make yourself think that we're going to have a show that is about articulate, intelligent discussion with Latter-day Saints. I'm not interested in it because I don't think you can get it unless they are under the gun to really speak the truth, and that's a rare find. Again, though, I invite uh, any Latter-day Saint official representative, anyone to come on. In fact, I'll tell you this. We'll donate a full 52 weeks, a full year, to any LDS official representative who wants to come on the show, a full year, and we'll dialogue. They can have time, equal time, if they're official, and the church says, here, Sean, they're official, they represent church doctrine, a full year of shows with them, right, right now, we'll, and we'll give them brownies afterward, whatever it is, a full year, okay? Let's go to uh, Deborah in West Jordan, first-time caller. Deborah, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Thank you so much for taking my call. You're welcome. Okay, I, w- I want to try to uh, make this question make sense. Since moving here uh, to the Salt Lake Valley and over the years, I have, uh, and especially in the last oh, five years, I've ran into people that have you know, been LDS, okay. but they no longer are, and so they claim to be atheists because uh, they no longer you know, believe in religion. And whenever I, I try to, you know, uh, open up the Bible and, and, and share verses to try to get them in that direction, I'm always slam dunked with, well, it's not, in, you know, been translated correctly. Yeah. And I've heard this from many sources. How, what can I do to, because it stops me dead in my, my tracks. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's in, uh, I was a born again Mormon, the book that we wrote. Uh, I say that that was the greatest uh, evil that Joseph Smith brought onto the earth is that he's got people to believe you can't trust the Bible. I've picked up on that yeah. and I don't know how, because then I've already lost him. I'm an atheist, you know, believe what you want, but don't push it on me. And I, I just, oh, I know, wish I had more wisdom. And- nah, so do I. I, you know, I, I usually talk about sin. And I talk about evil. If sin isn't one they want, then I'll talk about evil. Do you believe evil exists? Oh, yeah. And then uh, if they can say yes or no, and then if they say no, I say so. I can take your wallet right now, and I can punch you in the face, and, and I'm not evil, right? So, uh, or, and you won't get mad because evil doesn't exist. And, you know, I just talk with them, and you have to open up some maybe categories that will open their mind to find some solutions in the Word. But you're dealing with a very hardened, angry group who were told since they were children that right. it's the only true church. The, the, the one thing is, one of my teenage sons, uh, he was not, you know, born into the LDS, but um, uh, I know he has spiritual, but he, he has thrown that at me because he's gotten that, yeah. you know, from going to grade school here and, uh, and stuff. And I couldn't, I looked at him, I said, just read the Bible, sweetheart. Yeah. You know, because... You know, it, it, and then the, the atheist thing, that really, 
Yeah, it's it, really that hard. Concerns me. Yeah. Well, keep going, and I'll do the same because that's a really tough one. Spirit's got to lead, and it Bye. might be a much longer process of planting seeds about afterlife, sin, death. What would you think if there was a Jesus? Uh, rhetorical questions like that that might plant okay. seeds in their head. Okay. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thanks, Deborah. Okay. Bye bye. We're going to Jason, who I believe is LDS from West Jordan. Jason, you're on Heart of the Matter. <laughs> no, I'm not LDS. Oh. <laughs> I'm a born-again Christian. Oh, sorry, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, I just uh, wanted to point out that it seems that every single one of your LDS callers always want to point out that you have some radical view and that it's your interpretation of the Bible. Yeah. And that is not why anybody watches you're not interpreting the bible if you were interpreting the bible i don't think you would have a lot of callers right you're reading the bible you read the bible the same way as i do the same way as all my christian friends do from all different denominations right um the reason they're angry is because you're saying something that's contradictory to the seed that's been put in their head from a young child yeah you got to figure there's less than 12 million mormons worldwide and there's two billion Christians. Right. So I want to point out that they're the ones that have the radical view. Yeah. They're the ones that aren't teaching from the Bible. Yeah. And the Bible is the Word of God. There is no other interpretation or view or anything that matters. The Bible is the Word of God, period. Awesome. And, and you, you asked the last caller if he had joy. Mm -hmm. Well, Sean, I have joy because mm -hmm. I know Jesus Christ is God. Right. Jesus Christ is our Savior, and I was born again by the Spirit of Jesus, and I live my entire life for Jesus. Right. So everything that you're saying on your show is just what everybody else is right. Christian. It's nothing novel, is it? It's, 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 it's <laughs> nothing novel at all. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not saying something radical. Right. They are the ones that are saying something radical. Oh, good. It just frustrates me that they give you so much grief about that. Yeah, that is, I, you know, I really appreciate that. I haven't thought of that, uh, Jason. And uh, you know, I'm glad that you made that call because you represent a large segment of Christians who uh, don't often get represented on the show because they can't call or can't get through. And that makes a lot of good sense. I really appreciate it. Well, God bless you. Uh, you're, you're teaching the word of the Bible, not your interpretation. Thanks so much, Jason. God bless you. Thanks. Bye-bye. We're going to Brad in Salt Lake City. Brad, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, God bless you, Sean. Thanks for taking my call. Just a really quick thought that I had at the very top of the show. You know, you mentioned that verse in Galatians where Paul warns about another gospel. Right. But doesn't uh, the Book of Mormon, every one of them right on the front, say another testament <laughs> of Jesus? Isn't that the same thing? It really does. That's another good point. Another testament. Very good. You're doing a great job. God bless. God bless you. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. You know what? Someone emailed me. I can't remember their name. I'm sorry. It may have been John. It was a great question. Uh, but he asked, now think about this. They hold Joseph Smith up as the man who restored the true and full gospel. They, Joseph Smith brought to the earth, they uh, claim, uh, 
these ordinances that need to be done in the temples, these vicarious ordinances like endowments where you go through a bunch of different rituals and you receive these garments and you do these different things, and that this is the, the, the full new and everlasting gospel. Uh, this writer wrote me and asked, do you then would the vicarious ordinance work need to be done for Jesus and his apostles? Because Joseph restored or brought to the earth some things that were not going on during Jesus' ministry. So would someone need to go into the temple and do that temple work because the apostles never received the new and everlasting covenant? Ponder on that one for a minute. That one is wild. I couldn't believe it when I heard it. Hey, we had a caller uh, call who couldn't get on the air but wanted to know what I would tell someone who didn't believe in Jesus. Uh, uh, there's a lot of approaches you can take. You can take the biblical approach. You can talk about hell. You can talk about sin and all that. But you know what I would do? I would give them a copy of the book. I would say, are you a reader? And if they said yes, then I would say, why don't you read this book called Mere Christianity? Uh, C.S. Lewis, it's an old standby. It's one of the best books. During the time of war in England, C.S. Lewis got on the airwaves, and he went and he talked the people of England through, the British Isles, through uh, the whole reason why Jesus is who he is, and he does it in a very, um, it's kind of philosophical, but he handles a lot of stuff. So Mere Christianity is a book I would give to anybody, and I would challenge them, say, listen, C.S. Lewis was one of the greatest thinkers of our time. C.S. Lewis was an atheist, so, and he was a professor, so it's not like he comes to the table uh, just speaking, spouting stuff. Read this book, Mere Christianity. You don't believe in Jesus, tell me what you think. Another book, of course, that is really good is More Than a Carpenter, uh, which I love. Let's go to Mark really quick. We've got one minute. Mark, you're on Heart of the Matter. You have one minute, Mark. Fine. Uh, what about predestination and the uh, clear, clear teaching in the New Testament that Yes, we are all sinners, but unless we walk the Christian walk, your, your, your name really isn't going to be in the book of life. Yeah, uh, I, I think that that's uh, true, and, uh, but I don't understand the tie-in to predestination. Well, predestination—what uh, about the, what about the uh, prophecies in the Old Testament about the Jewish, the Jewish nation— well, the, the southern kingdom and the northern, the northern kingdom oh. being totally annihilated and the southern kingdom being taken into captivity. Yeah. Well, I think, I think uh, that uh, when we're talking about the restorationist movement at the end, the millennial reign, that's oh, what... No, no, no. I'm talking about the captivity into Babylon. And, and they were taken captive. Right. So... Like God, like God foretold them. Paul uh, talks about you are predestined... We have to talk more. I'm not getting it. I'm, I'm slow tonight. It's not you. And let's do it. But we've got 10 seconds left. Call next week. Okay? Bye. Bye-bye. I'm sorry about that, but we ran out of time. Listen, check in next week. Burning Heart, September 20th. Show up. See you on Heart of the Matter. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna 
Thank you.